Artificial intelligence is now able to read the human mind. Now this may sound like hyperbole, but it is real. In the video I'm about to show you, they're going to discuss the results of an experiment. In this experiment, they got a group of people and they played a Pink Floyd song to them. Here is what they played, you might recognize this song. And then they scanned the brainwaves of the people listening to the Pink Floyd song. They then got an artificial intelligence, a piece of AI, which was trained on decoding brainwaves. And they had this AI look at these brainwaves that came out of these subjects. And what the AI presented to the researchers was a mumbled version of a Pink Floyd song. Now here's the actual recording of what the AI produced after it decoded these brainwaves. Now it's a little bit murmury, it's a little bit fumbly, but remember, it's decoding brainwaves and you can hear that the melody is actually there. Now, yes, it's not exactly a, a carbon copy. It's not exactly pristine. I wouldn't be caught on the school bus bopping my head listening to that. But you have to admit that it's close. It's much closer than it should be. You have to admit that it's somewhat accurate, maybe 60% of the way there. And what are we dealing with here? We're dealing with a machine looking at data on a screen. The machine did not listen to the song. It just took the brainwaves coming out of your brain, out of the jelly in your head head, producing these electrical signals. The machine studied them and was able to reconstruct a coherent melody out of that. My friends, things are about to get crazy out there. Now you might say, Steph, I'm not even that impressed. I don't even like music. I don't care if AI can decode me listening to a Pink Floyd song. I walk around my life experiencing zero vibes. I am zero fun. So there's no music going on inside my head. So this is irrelevant to me. But you have to understand that the AI, the machine's ability, Skynet's powers, go far beyond simply Pink Floyd songs. Take, for example, its ability to decode our actual thoughts. In this experiment I'm about to show you, the researchers showed people a movie clip and had the same type of AI look at the brainwaves and then decode and explain what the people saw in the movie clip. Okay, so. What does that actually look like? Check this out. Here are the volunteers, and the volunteers were asked to watch a movie clip without audio, and this is what the AI described. You're seeing it right there, actual stimulus, and they described, I see a girl that looks just like me get hit on her back, and then she is knocked off, end quote. The eyes saw it, the brain processed it, and the AI top typed out what they were thinking. I just, like, I'm still trying to figure out how that would even work. So you see, this guy has a bit of gravitas about him. He cannot believe what he is seeing. His mind is blown, like me. Me and him get it. Whereas you're like, oh, it's just a silly new trend. It's not that big of a deal. Oh, my friend, it is. 
What we have here is the capacity for machines to read our minds. They can look at the electrical signals coming out of our brains and they can interpret these with a decent level of accuracy. And everything we know about artificial intelligence, everything I have learned from using it is that it gradually gets better as time goes on. Midjourney used to deliver up these little blobs when you'd ask them for pictures. Now we can get stuff that's close to photorealistic. It's only taken a year for that to happen. Where is this phenomenon going to take us in one year, in five years, in 10 years? Now, let's switch on our imagination here for a little bit and think about what this might mean. Just be careful. Skynet might be watching. Don't think any thoughts that are not government approved. You know, you never know what machines might decode. What does this tool mean in the hands of tyrants? Let's imagine that we lived in communist Russia. Oh, what a terrible thing that would be or George Orwell's 1984. Now, what is the problem there? Well, obviously, the paradigm that exists, the communist paradigm is wrong. It's an anti-human, anti-life perspective upon the world that leads to great tyranny and oppression. Or the party in 1984, what a terrible paradigm that is. Now, these anti-life regimes had to enforce their way of seeing the world through espionage, through the KGB, through the party's infrastructure of spying and thought control. In 1984, you could be accused of having thought crime. If anybody had suspicions that you were thinking nasty thoughts, if they decoded in your words dissent, they would have every reason to send you to a correctional facility to get your mind straightened out. The same in communist Russia. If your kids came to school and started to say, oh, mommy and daddy were telling me that the government's not all that they pretend that they are, that the Marxist regime's actually a little bit of a scam. There's a lot of corruption going on. If the teacher heard that and reported it back to the local commissar, daddy might end up in the gulag or mommy and daddy might end up getting dragged out in the middle of the night, never to see their kids again, to get brought away to be re-educated. Political regimes are held together by the trust that people have in the stories that the regime is putting out. And one of the simplest ways to make sure that that happens is the regime can enforce thought control upon the people. Now imagine if these 1984 tyrants or these communist Russians had access to artificial intelligence technology where they could sit people down or put helmets on their heads. They could read people's brainwaves and decode their thoughts themselves. They could see what they are thinking. They could see that their thoughts are clean. Because, of course, the problem with communist Russia, the problem with George Orwell's 1984, the entire story of 1984 is, in some sense, the world inside Winston's head, the world inside the hero's head, is where he is free. He is free to hide away from the surveillance television. He's free inside of his own mind to live a romantic dream, to have individual thoughts. He's free in here. That's the one place they can't get you. But what happens when technology allows them to penetrate all the way inside of your skull and take over that world and judge that world? Luckily, George Orwell is fiction. Luckily, the communist regime was defeated in the 20th century. But our current paradigm is not above these risks. We saw in the last five years that our regimes will have no qualms about using technology to coerce and enforce consent against people's will. They didn't hesitate to utilize the advancements of modern technology to create a control system which decided whether you could participate in society or not. They went ahead and even tested this in a test round. 
Why should we assume that they wouldn't figure out a way to use these types of tools to read our thoughts, to try to detect hate speech? They're currently instantiating hate speech legislation across the West. Why would they not advance that? Here we have something that doesn't have to rely on whether somebody says something wrong, whether somebody voices an opinion that's dangerous. Instead, you can just go straight to the source. You can go inside their imagination and their minds, the privacy of their own thoughts, and you can detect if there's hate in their hearts. No need for us to guess about their intention. Are they saying these horrible things because there's something wrong with them? We can just go inside their heads, decode their actual thoughts and figure out if they're a psycho, if they're twisted, if they're crazy. This is, of course, one of the most black mirror, dystopian, pessimistic possibilities. The government's capacity to read your mind and make sure that you're complying with the regime's psychosis, whatever ideological paradigms that the regime sets forward as the truth. But there are many other applications of this. One that we're probably going to see it being used for the quickest is in helping people who have had injuries to their brains. And this in and of itself is amazing because of the doors that it opens. So check this out. Here we have a woman who is somewhat like Stephen Hawking. She has had nervous system damage, so she cannot communicate properly. She is trapped inside of her own head. She has this inner world, but she can't really communicate with the outer world. Her mouth doesn't work correctly. She can maybe blink and use her eyes, but she's trapped in there alone. Now, these tools that we're seeing here are utilized in order to give her the ability to communicate once again. The device is an electrocorticography grid, which is attached to a pedestal, which is screwed onto the participant's skull. And uh, is the very first person to have this combination. On the screen, you'll see decoded text, speech, and avatar. When Anne was 30 years old, she had a stroke, which led to locked-in syndrome. Hey, Anne, how's it going? It is good to see you. That's the first time we've ever had a conversation using this system. If you are able to produce text, synthesize speech, and then also a personalized avatar, she believes that would really advance her ability to become a counselor and to work with people. I thought it would be good for me. How can we create technology that can help people really meaningfully contribute with all sorts of abilities? Anything is possible. This is legitimately mind-blowing, unfucking believable I cannot wrap my head around how profound what we've just seen here. The entire struggle of human existence, the talk of Descartes' concept of separation of mind and body, the whole premise of philosophy trying to study consciousness. And here you have it manifest in a technological innovation that shows us something amazing, that there is something going on inside of us that's able to transcend the confines of our body, that we have a sort of will, a spirit, a mind, whatever that is inside of this noggin. Maybe it's created by our brains, it's not too sure. But there's a way that we can overcome biology. We can extend our biology. We can crack a hole literally in our skull, put in technological machines. Like it's getting matrix-like when you think about this, you know? You're putting in that thing in the back of your head and you connect some machine, some artificial intelligence to it. That's like that alone is just so bizarre. You hook yourself up to a computer and your brain, the electrical signals, your will can organize the electricity inside of your brain and shoot it into this machine. This machine can decode it and represent it onto a screen and give you advanced powers that you did not have before or more specifically you have lost.
What does this mean? That is absolutely mind-blowing. Now, you might remember two years ago during the crypto hysteria, you had all the NFT bros running around talking about the metaverse, mate. The metaverse, what we're going into the metaverse, mate. And Zuckerberg basically destroyed his reputation and credibility by standing up and saying, we're now transforming Facebook into meta. It's all about the metaverse. We're all getting ready for the metaverse. And of course, it didn't do very well. People didn't find it very popular. These guys didn't read the popular sentiment that well and realized that people were very jaded about having to sit in their house all the time and then having these technological... Um, you know, technological god kings show up and turn around and say, by the way, we're going to plug you into the computers and you're no longer going to be allowed to go out into the real world at all. You're becoming pod men. Here's the prophecy of the future. Welcome, gentlemen. Welcome, human race. We have now trapped you inside your house. Return into your living room. Sit down and plug yourself into television. You'll never see the real world again. Enter the metaverse. We are your god kings. Now the Matrix has arrived. Welcome to a science fiction future. And so an awful lot of people turned around and said the hell with this this is crazy I'm not this has gone too far this sounds crazy this sounds ridiculous and the whole thing sort of burst its bubble and people lost interest in it now of course I think this is quite a good thing because these guys get a very much ahead of themselves and lose touch with the human aspect of life but nonetheless the technology that these guys were studying such as this is not fake is not made up this is very real what you have here is exactly what was being discussed. You have a woman who, because of a tragedy in her life, has lost the ability to function like a normal human being. And so she is forced, in some sense, to innovate, to pioneer, to take risks. So she allows them to plug this technology inside of her head. And now, did you see what was going on there? They had an avatar on the screen that would represent herself as she sees herself. This is very much this metaverse idea. Think about this, that we're sitting here and we're in this body of ours and we're very much imprisoned by the tragedy of birth, the tragedy of biology. We're not as beautiful as we wish we are. We're not as perfect. Our imagination is limitless and we can imagine ourselves ubermensch, like stronger, bigger, faster, whatever it is. And this woman has very much the most extreme version of this, where her body is completely destroyed. She cannot function. She is wheelchair bound. And all she has is this imagination. And this is something magical about humanity. Just like Winston, trapped in 1984, trapped in the prison of the world. It's very Gnostic, you know, trapped in the prison of the world. You have this woman trapped in this prison of the world, trapped in her biological body. But her limitless, profound imagination can see herself in a different way. And she projects that image onto a screen. She, we now have a technology that allows her to request via her imagination a, 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 an idealized image of herself. And she can now connect to that and embody that idealized image. She can project her spirit into that avatar. Now think about how far that can go. Think about her incentives. She has no reason to want to return to her bodily existence. She is free inside of this machine. This avatar, this idealized version of herself, is a better place for her to go in her life. She would rather enter into this digital version of herself. And if we could perhaps use these tools to put on like a virtual reality helmet, as people talk about, where she could actually begin to look out through the eyes of this avatar, why would she not want to spend 12 hours a day inside living as that avatar, where she can freely move around again, where she can freely go and act, where she can speak, where she actually has a body that works? Why wouldn't some people who are damaged want to do this? Now, of course, it sets a bizarre, frightening and profound precedent of mankind 
escaping from reality. I this this is just floors me because I'm a big philosophy bro, you know, I've been into philosophy for years. And all of this technology is forcing us to confront the fundamental questions of philosophy. Philosophy stuff is a load of losers, a load of nerd academics who get caught in abstractions and aren't really that charismatic or dynamic in their thinking. They're, you know, midwits who like to give out uh, to people about their favorite philosophers as if whatever it is. And they miss, they miss this. They miss what's actually happening right now, which is these technologies are making all these questions completely relevant. This is Gnosticism. This is the exploration of escapism from material reality and falling into a Luciferian new world. And what does that actually mean? This is the problem of consciousness put to its very limit, a scientific testing process. This is the questions of neuroscience. And all of these things are putting these things on, a, on the plate for us to confront. We're having people with the ability to cross the boundaries of what consciousness is and transport our consciousness into electricity and then move that consciousness into a heaven created by mankind's collective imagination. How profound is that? Christianity speaks of the rapture at the end of time, where God would lift their spirits out of this fallen world, this evil world, and these trapped bodies. He would lift us, our spirits, out of this world and lift us up into a heaven that he has created. The kingdom of God is come. And you can see this archetype fulfilling itself here in some sense. Mankind in our collective creative efforts have realized almost like a team of Gnostics that this world is not good enough. We die, we are fallen, we suffer, we struggle, we are limited. And technology now gives us the power to overcome these limits. And we can create this united heaven, this united kingdom of God. This is what the metaphors is. And we can reach into your mind with the spindles of technology. We can reach into the back of your mind, pull out your mind itself and put it into this kingdom of God. And there you are free. There the world is overcome. But you might say to yourself, Steph, this quasi-religious garble, I'm not interested in this. I'm not somebody who is injured or diseased. I didn't have a stroke. How is this tech going to help me? How is it going to make me more powerful? How is it going to help me conquer the world? Well, do I have news for you? So I'm sure you've heard of Neuralink. Let's take a look at a video they published where they had a monkey play video games. This is Pager. He's a nine-year-old macaque who had a Neuralink placed in each side of his brain about six weeks ago. If you look carefully, you can see that the fur on his head hasn't quite fully grown back yet. He's learnt to interact with a computer for a tasty banana smoothie delivered through a straw. We can interact with the Neuralinks simply by pairing them to an iPhone, just as you might pair your phone to a Bluetooth speaker. The links record from more than 2,000 electrodes implanted in the regions of Page's motor cortex that coordinate hand and arm movements. Neurons in this region modulate their activity with intended hand movement. For example, some might become more active when he moves his hand up and others when he moves it to the right. By recording from many neurons and feeding their activity into a decoder algorithm, we are able to predict Page's intended hand movements in real time. First, we calibrate the decoder by recording neural activity as Pager uses the joystick to move a cursor to targets presented on the screen. As he's playing this game, 
we're wirelessly streaming, in real time, the firing rates from thousands of neurons to a computer. Using these data, we calibrate the decoder by mathematically modeling the relationship between patterns of neural activity and the different joystick movements they produce. After only a few minutes of calibration, we can use the output from the decoder to move the cursor instead of the joystick. Pages still moves the joystick out of habit, but as you can see, it's unplugged. He's controlling the cursor entirely with decoded neural activity. Our goal is to enable a person with paralysis to use a computer or phone with their brain activity alone. Because they wouldn't be able to move a joystick, they would calibrate the decoder by imagining hand movements to targets. One of the things the Neuralinks allow Pager to do is to play his favorite video game, Pong. To control his paddle on the right side of the screen, Pager simply thinks about moving his hand up or down. We've removed the joystick altogether. Now that he's up to speed, let's increase the difficulty and see how well Pager can play with the Neuralink. As you can see, Pager is amazingly good at mind pong. He's focused, and he's playing entirely of his own volition. It's not magic. The reason Neuralink works is because it's recording and decoding electrical signals from the brain. Great game, Pager. And what better reward for a monkey than a banana? Good man, Pager. Pager is literally me. Now, what does this say? What does this mean? Think about this. Use your imagination. Because this is the world we are going towards. What is the struggle of the 20th century? What was the problem that so many thinkers came across in World War I? We look back to the Bronze Age. Man picks up his sword and man becomes heroic. Man is Achilles. Achilles the super warrior, most capable of using the sword, most athletic. Achilles of the swift foot. Man is heroic when he fights with weapons. But come the 20th century, we see the arrival of the advanced machine guns, artillery, bullets, war turns into a mincemeat grinder. There is no heroism anymore. It is simply a numbers game where technology chows down through many, many men and you walk out hoping that you are not squashed like a mosquito underneath a combine harvester. War is dehumanizing. You have great heroes like Ernst Jünger participating in these wars and coming across these motifs and these challenges. How do I find the heroism of war from the past in one of these new modern wars, these wars of industrial machines? War all of a sudden transforms into something that man does not want to participate in. There's no way to become heroic. There's no possibility of being Achilles in in a modern war. You look at the modern war happening in Ukraine, and again, it's a very bleak affair. An unromantic load of men hobbled up in a trench like in World War I, only this time they're just hoping to God that a disembodied drone doesn't fly above their head and drop a grenade on them while they're asleep. It's bleak, it's sad, it's inhuman. There's no romantic charges, no men organizing in large cavalry charges so they can mow down their enemies in a great battle like in Lord of the Rings or the charge of the Hussars in um, ancient Europe. So what does this mean? 
And we see war evolving dramatically with technology. Now, this is a weird phenomenon because this is now allowing man to once again inject himself in technology in a very fascinating way. Man is going to be able to get his hands inside machines. Really think about this. Think about where this goes. Before, you know, we have our cannon and we shoot their artillery up into the air and all this. Now we have these drones showing up. And these drones are usually piloted, by the way, by guys with like Xbox controllers. Now, what happens when the drones start to merge with this avatar conception? What is going to go on then? Is war going to turn into some type of Final Fantasy, Transformers, video game drone warfare? Will it be crews of men sitting in these huts somewhere in America and then whatever country they're fighting against? And they'll all project their imagination, like the Matrix. They'll be projecting their imagination into, via Neuralink, into these 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 drones these bodies that they create and then these drone bodies will go out and fly up into the air up into outer space and they'll have swords and they'll have weaponry whatever way it'll work and they'll be fighting the other nation country or armies drone entities and there'll be this large clash of the titans up in the air be like gods fighting in the sky these technological machines that are possessed by nothing more than the spirit of the people down in the world um, what do I mean by this? Again, think about that woman who had the stroke. She uses these Neuralink connections to put her brain inside of an avatar. And the avatar then can operate out in the digital world. Now, there's no difference between that avatar operating in the digital world and that avatar being injected into a piece of a robot, a piece of technology that can act in the digital world. This is like, I, I don't see how this doesn't come to fruition. That what we're going to see in the future is video game bros embodying transformers going out and taking over the world. That seems like it's going to be the level and the speed of their imagination, the speed of their wit, the speed of their mind is going to be the thing that decides who wins these fights. We're going into some crazy sci-fi future. And then think about how this might come across something like Iron Man. So imagine if we could create some type of suit of armor, an Iron Man suit of armor made of titanium, very fluid, like the old medieval knights with their chainmail and their broad shining armor. We could maybe get a set of technological tools and give your hand some type of apparatus that's able to, I don't know, catch bombs or some crap like this, something crazy. And you could deck people out in these suits, connect their minds to it via the imagination, and then you have, in essence, the return of the super warrior. You have, in essence, the return of the old medieval knight, the Terminator will walk the earth once again. The medieval knight stood so profound over the peasants because they had the money to be able to afford advanced armor, which would made them basically invincible to compared to most peasants. Armor was very effective back then. And so the European knight would have appeared to the peasant as some type of terminator, an invincible military trained man who was better fed so he was taller and stronger and educated his whole life on how to fight, covered in this expensive armor, probably up on a horse as well. This is a man above them, a Superman. And this is possibly what we will start to see is things like this happening once again. What does this mean? I don't want to be some mindless hype guru, but I think you can understand that this is the world that we're going into. And it's going to force us to confront some 
absolutely foundational questions about who we are. It's going to put us up against some unbelievably serious technological dangers. What are we going to do about the regimes that are in place now when they have access to this type of technology and they can use it in pernicious ways against us? We're in a vulnerable position. What does this mean for armies of the future, for weaponry? Does it mean that the first people who actually start to utilize these tools, maybe they augment their own bodies and create, you know, new apparatus that makes them essentially super soldiers? Are they going to be able to lord over everybody else on Earth? What type of confrontation with reality are we going to have then, coming up against people who are not made of flesh and bone, but are made of things that are harder, more dangerous? What happens when they have rocket launchers coming out of their hands? Or their imagination control can control drones that can lord around the world, fly up in the air, stuff like this. Things are going to start getting crazy out there. Or think about something Jason Reza Giorgiani has been bringing up for years. The problem we have with privacy inside of our own minds. I was bringing this up earlier when I was talking about the government regimes, the George Orwell 1984 regimes, and their ability to look inside of our heads. This is something that Jason was saying five years ago, and he sounded crazy. He's saying we're going to go into this this new world in the next couple of years where the whole idea of privacy inside of your own heads is going to get inviolated telepathy, remote viewing, advanced technologies, they're all going to give us the ability to look inside people's brains. And once that happens, we have we have to completely reform the entire premises of our civilization, which is things like the law system, things like legal systems. These are all going to have to be thrown out and reconstructed because of this ability for us to look inside people's minds. And what does he mean by this? Well, of course, you go into a courtroom and the entire premise is that the court cannot access your brain and so what needs to happen is they need to get a load of people to listen to your story and then listen to the other person's story. And then there's a judgment made. There's a decision made on who is lying and who is telling the truth. And then some person goes to prison as a consequence of this. It's very, very serious stuff. People can get executed because of these things. Now, that entire procedure and process is annihilated and must be transformed in the face of something like our ability to look inside people's minds our ability to penetrate into their thoughts and see what they're actually thinking, to decode their thoughts. Are we supposed to allow all judges to legally force people to have Neuralinks installed inside of their heads so that we can extract their thoughts and brain uh, read their minds and pull out their memories about what happened that day when they there was the car crash or that day when that murder went down? Are we allowed to do that against their will? W what is the situation here? What is the... What is, the, what is the precedent that is set? It's, it's absolutely crazy, you know? These are real questions that are going to come up, and it goes far beyond this. You know, is it, is it legal for you to be able to use these technologies to look inside other people's heads? What, what, where do we draw the boundaries of things like hate speech and stuff like this? This is all going to, things are going to get crazy out there. And Jason was talking about this years ago. He sounded crazy, but he doesn't sound so crazy now. He sounds a little bit like he was ahead of the times. And so all I can tell you is that things are going to get crazier and crazier out there. These technologies are here. These technologies are real. And they are going to hit us like a truck. This is going to be transformative to the way that we live our lives in a way that I just don't think we're ready to even comprehend. And to give you an analogy for this, this is not something that sounds crazy or bizarre or hasn't happened before. This thing, this little phone 
has completely transformed society. Think how much the social fabric has fallen apart because of our phones, because of the ability for people to mass communicate. This happened in the Protestant Revolution. The printing press comes around. People can publish widespread information. Everybody starts publishing the Bible in their own native tongue. Everybody starts reading the Bible for themselves. They rebel against the church. There's this explosion of all these Protestant movements. And then there's a load of wars and it culminates in the 30 years war in Germany where something like 30%, like a third of the population, one in three people were killed as a consequence of this stuff. This phone comes along and it allows this distribution of information on a broad mass scale. And you have an enormous amount of ideas and people and stuff being spread. And this huge revolutionary energy starts to build up. And then all these enormous geopolitical situations happen. Things are getting crazy out there, man. And then we have the arrival now of these technological tools where we can plug machines directly into people's minds and get their imaginations to interact directly with machines and control them more accurately. What does that mean? Where does that bring us in the future? Now, one motif that I see that is consistent and sacrosanct is the primacy of your imagination. The creativity of your mind is seemingly getting more empowered as we go into these technological realms. Now, it's quite weird, it's quite strange, but that seems to be the motif. What is the thing that is being freed for that woman who had that stroke. Technology is giving the ability for her mind to overcome her situation, for her imagination to show how it is able to beat the restrictions placed on her by her biology. Very fascinating. Technology allows her to reimagine herself and allows her to project her language and her consciousness and her logos into a new body, a new entity, a new machine. And that allows her to live forward in that thing fascinating. So her imagination is the primacy. When we get into this idea of these transformer drones from the future, where video game bros would all be plugged, plugging headsets on and flying up into the air to fight wars in the sky. Again, what is going to be the metric that tests who is the best warrior in that situation? Well, of course, the power of the, the transformer, the technological sophistication of the race car is going to be one thing, but it's the imagination, the ability to use that thing, the, the thinking speed, the creativity expressed through these machines, that's going to become the limit. We're actually going more and more into our humanity in confrontation with these machines. We're seeing more and more that what we are, what is most sacred about us, are these spiritual tools like our imagination, like our logos, like our capacity for language, like our capacity to think. These aspects of ourselves, the same tools that allowed us to conquer all the animals, to conquer the earth, these same tools are now getting forced to the forefront in the age of the machine. Now to bring this down into its most practical and immediate application, I'm using artificial intelligence quite a lot with creativity. I'm using it to help me generate images and help me make pictures and videos and various things like this. And you're starting to see these trends arrive in a practical way. I've been experimenting with Midjourney. I was an early adopter with artificial intelligence. The boys in my network were like, you have to start using this immediately. We have to experiment with this and see what it is and see where it goes. 
and we've been testing it and at the start you know we had plenty of skepticism and it was low enough quality but there was something to it it had a generative capacity that we had to take seriously and what we've learned over time is that the best way that you utilize artificial intelligence as a creator with mid-journey and with stable diffusion is you have to understand that a great artist can utilize this to help them expand the speed at which they can realize their imagined goal this is the really core point now think about what i'm saying here you give some average normie average mpc uh, with no imagination and they have no image and they have no artistic impulse and they have no artistic goal inside of their heads they don't have that thing that they're looking for and you give them these tools and they'll just generate crap they'll just like you know produce loads of pictures but it's not going to have any style it's not going to have any story it's not going to have any soul it's not going to have any imaginative intent which is what an artist brings and you give an, an artist these tools and they'll be able to grab this and whip it into shape and utilize it to realize their imagined idea faster and at a scale that was not available before. Now we're seeing now with the rise of video with Midjourney and Runway and stuff like this, that within a year or two years, you're going to see that people like me, you know, people who are just working on YouTube will have the capacity to generate long form imaginative scenery and pictures. They'll be able to make film with the leverage that perhaps Hollywood could. Now, will they be as good as Hollywood? I'm not too sure, we'll see about that. But they'll be able to generate something that is watchable, that is artistically serious and relevant, and be competitive at that scale. And that's gonna be a very, very big deal. Because now we're having this thing where we're empowering the imagination faster than it could be done before. Before, if you had this big, profound, imaginative idea, you'd have to write something like a book. Most people don't read books. So you'd have to write a book. You'd probably struggle to get it published. But now, and like if you're very lucky, the book would transform into a film. But now we're getting to the point where you will be able to produce a film, an imagistic version of what you see inside of your mind almost directly in an extremely fast process. And this is going to allow us to see many of the best ideas rendered as fully as possible. Meaning that imaginative ideas are going to reach the market faster than they did before. This is gonna be quite strange. Maybe there'll be lower quality, maybe there'll be more junk, there probably will be more junk as a consequence of this, but there will also be a couple of moonshots in there. There'll be more things that do very, very well. We're entering into a new era. And it seems like the coefficient that matters is the imagination. It seems like, and I've been speaking to AI experts like Sam Woods, who is constantly talking about this. I recommend you check him out. Sam Woods, AI, I've done podcasts with him before. He's constantly talking about the fact that technology is going to actually force us to confront our humanity, not take our humanity from us. It's going to force us to realize what is so special about us. What is the true things that are great about us? This is forcing us to see that this imagination, this creative thinking, these artistic instincts, these artistic traits, they are the things that are gonna become the most valuable, the most effective. If you have a great artistic imagination, you'll be able to leverage these machines in order to bring that imagination to fruition faster and more effectively than you ever would have been able to do before, especially as an individual. And this is going to massively transform the opportunities at your feet. So your imagination is about to become the superstar more. Now, this is the optimistic case. We could all end up in some type of George Orwell regime as well. Maybe it, this will just be this absolute torrent 
torrent of crap art that will just drown out any creativity and the internet will become a sloth like a trash heap or something like that that is all possible as well but i like to think optimistically as well as pessimistically and this is what i'm seeing and so these conclusions whatever you may think of them have led me to decide to build what i'd like to build for people because i for years have been a big proponent of storytelling of learning to write of learning to use your imagination of learning to develop it in the jungian style i was doing this when i was a young man and i'm also a great proponent in utilizing technology i've always been big on utilizing social media these are all excellent tools for you to spread your logos out into the world and i see that these two trends that i've been very focused on these practical trends of crafting your capacity to storytell, becoming a better writer, developing the capacity for you to use your imagination, understanding the higher level ways of thinking like systems thinking, like reasoning from first principles that allows you to make better decisions, allows you to run operations and organizations like businessmen would and entrepreneurs would. Combining these, what we would call mental skills, the capacity to write, storytell, think, imagine, combining these mental skills with the willingness to be an early adopter with new technologies that are showing up in the public sphere, like social media, like now artificial intelligence, learning how to unite these two forces, the old classical skills embedded in our bodies, embedded in our minds, with new technology, marrying that stuff together, that's what's going to make you competitive in the future. Your ability to do this is going to make you stand out. There's a lot a lot of people out there talking about how AI is going to transform everything and you just need to get AI to put on your socks in the morning. That's not going to happen. The machines are not going to do all your work for you. There's a lot of people out there talking about becoming a writer, learning how to write books and all this. Again, that stuff is good. I like I like going on that project of writing something like a book, but you're getting left behind if you're not if you're stuck in that way of thinking, trying to write like you're in the 19th century or something. We live in the 21st century. We are technological beings right now. Things are transforming very, very fast and we're moving into a new world. And uniting these two forces is what's going to make you most powerful, especially as a creator. And so if you're interested in learning more about this, you can go down into the link in the description and join my program where I will hook you up to a laptop and feed you banana smoothies and make you play ping pong all day and tell you that it's transforming your mind. Outside of that, of course, I may teach you the arts of writing that I learned when I was growing up. I'll teach you how to storytell the first principle style of thinking necessary in order to get good at that. I will talk to you about how to speak better, and then I'll combine it as well, which showing you the process for learning how to do artificial intelligence, how to utilize these new tools, the process I use in order to make AI animation, and talk to you about the utilization of social media and how all these things stack up together to turn into a complete skill set, a personal development skill set where you develop all this capacity to have a deeper more profound soul united with modern technological tools that you can integrate with and utilize these tools in an effective way so if you're interested in that pop down below thank you very much for your time stay juicy and have a good one